what do you think we should banter about, like, start the podcast? Oh, no. Gosh, so much. Okay, it just started recording. Like, I, I don't know. Like, in terms of discussing things to begin a podcast, how do you discuss things to begin a podcast about discussing things to begin a podcast? I just said podcast. Call it a co- did you just You're call it a podcast? <laughs> I think I just can called we, it a cod pass. Can we talk about that you just called it a cod pass? I don't know what that is. What would a cod pass be? Is that, is like, that like, is that like the, the mental history of a fish? I mean, I was just thinking, like, there's this fish, and, like, his fish mom is like, you know, fishy, I want you to be in by 10 o'clock, and he's out having sex with his fish girlfriend, like, 11 p.m. or something. Do cod do cod have sex? I don't think they maybe have sex. maybe it is a good thing that we cut down on time. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> yes, so we can talk about cod sex. Okay, let's move on to the hot takes, the news of the week. All right. Firstly, we have this article about Duarte getting invited to the White House. So in case you guys don't know who Duarte is, this is the guy who thought that killing drug addicts was a lovely idea. Duterte. No. So so here's here's the story. Uh, President Trump called President Rodrigo Duterte on Saturday. Um, and basically, Mr. Trump, basically Donald Trump invited him to, to come to the White House. Uh, during their, quote, very friendly conversation, Unquote. The administration said in a late night statement, uh, Mr. Trump invited Mr. Duterte uh, to visit him at the White House. And uh, John Sifton of the Human Rights Watch, the Asia advocacy director of the Human Rights Watch, said, quote, by essentially endorsing Duterte's murders for on drugs, Trump is now morally complicit in future killings. Although the traits of his personality likely make it impossible, Trump should be ashamed of himself. Unquote. Senator uh, Chris Murray, Democrat of Connecticut and a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, said on Twitter, we are watching in real time as the American human rights bully pulpit disintegrates into ash. Um, Basically, now, what Ryan's Priebus, which is Trump's chief of staff, says is he drew a connection between a visit by Mr. Duterte and the tensions with North Korea, saying building solidarity throughout Asia uh, is needed to pressure North Korea on its nuclear ballistic missiles programs. So, uh, interesting to note, Donald Trump has a commercial connection to the Philippines. His name is stamped on a $150 million, 57-floor tower in Manila, a licensing deal that netted his company millions of dollars. Mr. Duterte appointed the chairman of the company developing the tower as an envoy to Washington for Trade, Investment, and Economic Affairs. Hot takes. All right. This is pretty interesting when I look up um, drug deaths in the Philippines. Instead of like getting an overdose like death toll, I just get like a death toll of like the police crackdowns. Yes. So, so what's your like, hot take, Brett? I mean, I support Duarte and what he's doing because he's not going after um, drug addicts. He puts drug addicts in. Um, in prison makes him do like Zumba shit so I think he's got the right approach there but um, can like I do my hot take now dealers, 
I think is perfectly fine. Like, um, in some cases, like, if a person is dealing something, like, absolutely lethal, like heroin is, or, um, I don't know, like, methamphetamines, I think that the death penalty should be an option. So, I'm okay with him being really tough on drugs. And people who say that, like, he's being unfair and, like, um, there's vigilante groups, that's true. But overall, like, everything is a mixed bag, and he's doing more good than he's doing harm because the Philippines has a really bad drug problem that needs to stop because it kills the economy and it also kills people. It just hollows out communities. Okay, Amr, hot take. Um, fuck that previous statement. Oh, kill me. Just completely and utterly screw it. Like, go into detail. Come on, point by point. First, I said that death penalty should be an option for people dealing hard drugs that are potentially. The death penalty is kind of pointless. It doesn't do much in terms of providing what's the word? Uh, that thing that you uh, you mean deterrent? Yes, deterrence, deterrence. Thank you for that. It doesn't do very much in terms of providing deterrence, as we can see in the United States. Um, well, I disagree with that because I anyway, mean, we're not allowed to discuss. So to continue on my oh, point. Oh come on. <laughs> We're limiting discussion. You're the one We're who wants a shorter this fucking isn't organic podcast. organic at all. No, You're it's the fine. one let who wants a shorter podcast. Let him talk. We we let you talk. Let Amr talk. Um, and the problem, biggest problem I have with Duterte is that he kills drug addicts. Like, if you're addicted to drugs, you're dead. You're killed. Like, anyone who's addicted to any drug is executed. Like... That's not okay. That's okay. not okay at all. I can't respond. Well, no. So I finished your okay. point. Yeah, was, and it, was I think that, that the, the fact that Trump has invited this guy to his White House and said, I like you and I like your government is just him being him. Like, He's complimented Saudi princes. He's complimented people with just truly awful human rights records. He complimented Erdogan. Like, he just seems to have this thing for really liking awful people. Okay. Is that it? Yep. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, Duterte's drug war has, as of February, uh, killed over 7,000 people. Prisons are overpopulated with some records of prisons designed to hold 800, filled with nearly 4,000. He recently pushed for a law that would reduce the age of criminal responsibility from 15 to 9, which would allow extrajudicial executions of children for suspicion of drug-related offenses. Um, currently the rate of meth use in the Philippines is not much higher than that of the United States. So the idea that they have a massive drug problem is not accurate. Uh, he ruled the same way when he was the mayor of Davao city, 
which is the third largest city in the Philippines. He bragged about throwing drug dealers out of helicopters and driving around at night on his motorcycle, shooting suspected criminals. Uh, he also implemented a nightly curfew, a liquor ban after 2 a.m., and a no-smoking policy. A 2009 investigation by Human Rights Watch into the deaths of hundreds of people, including children, found that they were executed by death squads. Uh, a similar review in 2016 found that police, or sorry, by Amnesty International, that was released in February, found that police in the current drug war were being paid as much as $150 to $300 per kill. And let's also give an idea about what Duterte is, and just in terms of how he sees this, sees himself. So uh, at a, he's also starting to cut down on political dissent, which you can't, can't, I don't think we can ignore. So at a press conference in mid-February, Arturo uh, Lascanas, a retired senior Davao police officer, detailed the existence of the Davao Death Squad, um, a vigilante group Duterte put together to get rid of political rivals and criminals, and admitted his own involvement as a ringleader. He said that Duterte personally paid him $20,000 for killing a broadcast journalist and commentator who openly criticized Duterte on his radio show. Um, the report corroborated a testimony of Edgar Mataba, uh, wait, Matabato, a 57-year-old self-confessed trigger man who told a Senate panel last September that he was a member of the Davao Death Squad. Several senators are now calling for a new probe, uh, and just so happens that one of the main senators has now been put in prison under conspiracy charges. Um, and let me just give you an idea who Duterte is. So Duterte voluntarily compared his vicious crackdown on the drug trade to the Holocaust as if it were a good thing. He said, quote, critics portrayed me to be some cousin of Hitler. Hitler massacred three million Jews. Now there is three million drug addicts, drug addicts, not drug dealers. That's a side note. Now there is three million drug addicts. I'd be happy to slaughter them. If Germany had Hitler, the Philippines would have me. Uh, he invited other Catholics in the country to support his crackdown to join him in hell. He said, quote, you Catholics, if you believe in your priests and bishops, you stay with them. If you want to go to heaven, then go to them. It Now, if you want to end drugs, I will go to hell. Come join me. Uh, he criticized Obama, called him a son of a whore, which is not <laughs> uncommon. He did the same thing to, post, to Pope Francis in 2015. He also called U.S. Ambassador Philip Goldberg, after calling him the gay ambassador, called him a son of a whore. And the reason he did that was in response to Goldberg suggesting that, or was in response to Goldberg saying that Duterte's earlier comments in support of rape were out of line. And you ask, wait, why would he say anything that's in support of rape? So here's what he said. In 1989, an Australian missionary named Jacqueline Hamill was gang raped and murdered in Davao City. Duterte was mayor at the time, and his response to the incident on TV, you can find clips of this, he said, quote, I was angry because she was raped, that's one thing, but she was so beautiful, the mayor should have been first. What a waste. <laughs> He's got some serious banter there. Shit. <laughs> Just to be clear who we're dealing with. So, now, all that being said... It's also important to note Duterte currently has an approval rating in the Philippines somewhere between 83% and 91%. So, uh, is there also something to the idea that North Korea, that this is a crackdown on North Korea? Potentially. Uh, I also think that it's ironic where we draw the line that 
sure, this guy's an awful piece of shit, extrajudiciously killing people. Um, but okay, so is Saudi Arabia, right? Where I mean, like, liberals get outraged over that, but the general establishment media and establishment politics don't get outraged over that. So, where are we drawing the line here? I mean, I think that's a fair I thing mean, to put. They're all pieces of shit, but we lie in bed of shit all the time. So, so is that a question I can respond to? Or <laughs> sure. I mean, I don't like the fact that we're in the bed with the Saudis. I don't think I don't like the fact that we're in the bed with any of these awful people. I don't think we should be in bed with them. Quite frankly, I think that. We need to, at the United States, practice what we preach. And if there are people who are doing things that we like and that we agree with, those are people we buddy up with. I mean, that's not very practical. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Brett on that one. I don't think it's very practical. I don't think you can ignore strategic impacts. Like, there's piece of shit dictators all over the world. Like, this guy's a particular piece of shit, and I wouldn't invite him to the White House, but I also don't know that I'd ostracize him. So I mean, you've invited Saudi princes who've done a lot worse things, and you just give them the grand tour of the place, and then you complain when this guy shows up? Like, you can't do yeah, that. Like, I know, that's my point. And I'm my complaint is I don't think this, we should be allying with the Saudi princes. I don't think we should be allying with these people with horrible human rights abuses. Well, to be clear, I just want to say I have much less of an issue showing Saudi princes and Filipino dictators. Maybe he's not qualified as a dictator quite yet on the path, maybe. But yeah, I mean, people Filipino, are very happy about him. Filipino executioners. There's one I, I have much less of an issue of showing those people around Crawford Ranch or Camp David or the White House than I do with supplying tons of bombs to Saudi Arabia so they could just wantonly massacre Yemen, people in Yemen. So, anyway, that's my hot take on that. Okay, so next story? Mm-hmm. All right. The next story on our list is that the funding bill to September passed. So the problem well, that we've been having... It's been agreed upon. It hasn't passed yet. I'm just Sorry. reading <laughs> what you guys put here. Oh, all right. Let's... Yeah, I, I have... Like, it says funding bill through September passed. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It passed Before committee. I changed it, it was Duerte. Not Duerte, Duerte. Yeah, it's Duterte. Right, passed the... Well, that's what you freaking put it down as. And that's what I was okay, saying. Okay, okay. <laughs> Alrighty then. Congress has reached a funding deal to keep the government open. Congress struck a deal Saturday night for a roughly $1 trillion spending bill to avert a government shutdown. A measure that largely appears to be a victory for Democrats and gives in to a few conservative demands. The House and Senate have come to an agreement on a larger omnibus spending bill which will fund the government through September. The bill doesn't include any money for a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border, nor does it cut federal spending for Planned Parenthood, but includes enough 
increase military spending and border security funding for Republicans to claim wins. Um, final agreement looks to be a win for Democrats, increases defense spending by $12.5 billion, no money for the southern border, doesn't cut Planned Parenthood, doesn't include Trump's $18 billion cuts, um, increases the spending for the National Institute of Health by $2 billion, cuts EPA budget only by 1% rather than the 31% requested by Trump, increases clean energy and science funding by $17 million, increases the Department of Energy and Sciences funding to $42 million, and ARPA EAD by $15 million, and additional $131 million for the Secret Service. Gotta keep Trump nice and safe. Yeah, Pretty especially much. in Mar-a-Lago all the time. Okay, so my hot take on this is essentially um, it's, it's kind of surprising. I expected Democrats to cave more because Democrats fucking suck. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty happy to see they didn't cave so much on some of these things. Uh, military spending sees a huge increase. Not a surprise. Important to note that the $12.5 billion increase in this bill is on top of a $22 billion increase that was approved last year as part of the Defense Reauthorization Act. Um, so, yeah, we're just throwing money at, at defense, or really, military, war, <laughs> if, if we're calling it accurately. Uh, I think the key... Um, I think that one of the key things to note here is uh, the thing that really helped Democrats is that um, they needed Democratic votes to pass the budget bill in the Senate since they got to reach a 60-vote threshold and there's only 52 Republicans. Um, so as they started adding provisions to get Democratic votes, they lost support among hardline Republicans, which meant they needed to compromise more to get Democratic votes. So I, I see this probably barely hitting the 60-vote threshold, and I see a number of Republicans voting against it in both the House and the Senate. Um uh, I will also point out the bill finally funds coal miner pensions and health care through the Miners Protection Act. Uh, without the funds, miners would have relied solely on Social Security, which pays about $1,500 per month. Uh, the average retired coal miner spends $1,800 per month on medication. I also want to note that it was, despite Trump's rhetoric, it was Democrats that pushed this through, Sherrod Brown of Ohio and Joe Manchin of West Virginia, after Mitch McConnell consistently blocked votes on this funding over the last few years. Uh, Puerto Rico gets some Medicaid funding, which is really important because the island is currently undergoing a deep recession. So they have very high usage of Medicaid on the island. Uh, they're also having a Zika outbreak problem right now. The NIH gets a $2 billion funding boost, almost half of which is to fund Alzheimer's and cancer research. Now, I think... And they're also getting $650 million to fight opioid epidemic. Uh, I think what's really interesting here is that Trump's budget proposal uh, had massive cuts for the NIH, um, but there was a lot of Republican support for increasing funding, uh, and largely it's because it worked. So uh, there's a, a separate article here that talks about, uh, in March, Science, which is you know a magazine, it's a peer-reviewed magazine, published a study looking at the impact of NIH grants over a 27-year period. The main finding was that 8.4% 8 of all NIH grants go on to generate patents for new drugs, medical devices, or other medicine-related technologies. The author of the paper had previously figured out that, 
quote, a $10 million boost in NIH funding leads to a net increase of 2.3 patents, unquote. They estimate roughly that each patent is worth around $11.2 million. So they say, quote, a back-of-the-envelope calculation indicate that a $10 million increase in NIH funding would yield $34.7 million in firm market value, uh, unquote. So that's why Republicans tend to support it. They also found a secondary finding that grant money has a carryover effect into the private sector. Around 30% of all scientific papers generated by NIH grants are cited by successful patent applications from private firms. Um, they also found there's also research that suggests government funding is better at kickstarting uh, private sector um, research than private sector funding. NIH funded patents are cited by future patents at double the rate of those developed by the private sector. So, oh, and we only cut the EPA by 1%. Oh, look at that. So, exactly what I said. That's good. Not the 70% or whatever Trump had proposed. 31%. Coming, come on. Like, oh, sorry. 31%. At least give him like the small amount of credit. What do you. A, a fake news. Some... All right. So, Brett, give us your hot potato. Um, I think that short term, this looks like a big damn victory. But in all honesty, like the Democrats are kind of screwing themselves over by cooperating with the Republicans like this. That was the whole point of... Um, why the Republicans were so sex successful this uh, past election cycle is because it's a hell of a lot easier to sabotage someone else's plans than to like fulfill them, basically. So the Democrats, they basically, they weren't very compromising as soon as Obama took office. Like they tended to shove things down the Republicans' throats. And it worked in the short term, for sure. I mean, they got Obama elected again, and they got, like, the stimulus package through, and they got all this Obamacare. But in the long term, what it did is it energized their opponent's base. You know, you had the Tea Party movement sprouting up and stuff like that. So if I were, like, a liberal activist right now, and I go, oh, we have to fight against Trump. He's a demagogue and a dictator. Oh, Look, science got $50 billion in extra funding. Like, the whole march for science looks pretty discredited at this point. Um, not completely, because once again, like, different stances on climate change. But it's not like there's this grave threat towards science and, like, government science research that people have been, like, hinting at. So ultimately what it does is it kind of blunts the threat and it's it's more of a long-term move for trump it's more of like an establishmentarian move which i don't really like because i expected trump to go in there and just wreck shit and uh get policies that people want to kind of like obama but that's not what happened very political move that's my hot take well just to be clear trump has been fuming about all of these things on twitter today so I don't think yeah. I don't think he that, likes that's this that's the appeal to the base right there. That's in order to get himself elected again. <laughs> I would I wouldn't I wouldn't laugh. I wouldn't laugh. 
he still has like a 90 plus percent approval rating among his voters. So like, anyway, that man gets elected in again. I'm going to dreamy boy, Justin Trudeau. Okay. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. There was a poll that came out this week that showed that 66% of Trump's voters say that he thinks that he has done a better job than they expected. And another 33% thought that he did a much better job than expected. Yeah. A re-election is incredibly possible. Yeah, I agree. And then hey, um, my thing isn't okay. Well, to go on this tangent, they're not. They're my not whole thing isn't that. Like the people who are on the Trump bandwagon, they're on the Trump bandwagon. I accept that, but the fact is, he wasn't elected with the popular vote. He and fifty percent of the voting population in the United States voted. So that means twenty-five percent of people vote who want who voted. Wanted him president. Now, forty-one percent of people in the United States wanted him president. So, if all these people don't want another four years of the Trump presidency, they need to get off their asses and vote. Yeah, but what's the incentive if the Democrats can get like such big compromises like they did in the what's last? What's the incentive? Not having Betsy DeVos, so the pro-choices aren't going to be as having... likely to come out and vote. Um, science is funded, so climate change people who usually vote for Stein aren't going to vote for a Democrat, sure as hell not, because they're going to go, what the hell is the difference? And that's true. I mean, what the hell is the difference if it's only a difference in like 1% science funding? Well, I want to say I think you're right and wrong. I think you're right in the sense that... Oh, thank you. Well, I think you're right in the sense that if nothing bad ends up happening... Democrats are already really shitty at coming out to vote. Liberals are really shitty about coming out to vote. Maybe they start to lose the... What's the word I'm looking for? They start to take down their guard and don't come out in 2018 and 2020. That's possible. But then again, like a heavy wind can make Democrats not come out to vote. So uh, I think you're wrong when you say that uh, Democrats are caving in a way that Republicans didn't and stuff like that. It's the, the situation between now and 2008 is very different. Because in 2008, Democrats uh, actually had a supermajority in the Senate. They had, for a short time, 60 votes in the Senate. So they didn't have to do anything bipartisan. Once that went away in 2010, uh, and they kept the Senate, but they lost the House. And their Senate, they only had 54 senators. You saw these exact same kinds of things as what, what the Republicans are dealing with now. I mean, we had the sequester went through it all that time that massively cut back funding. There was all the talk about the grand um, uh, grand compromise or whatever it was called, where they were going to cut Social Security. There was a lot of compromising by Democrats back then, and Republicans got their way in a lot of things and shut down the government twice, I want to point out. So I think we're much closer to the, in terms of the makeup of Congress, we're much closer to the 2011 2012 makeup than we are the 2008 makeup and i think the policy and i think this budget reflects that well do you think that the democrats would shut down the government no democrats will shut down the government that's that's why it's on an unlevel playing field republicans will shut down the government and democrats won't democrats it seems like yeah it seems like the the republicans are like the only ones willing to do like radical things that kind of like energize the base and motivate people to vote Yep, that's so, because Republican politicians are on average more ideological than Democratic politicians. 
So. so, I mean, I don't think that this is in favor because in order for the Democrats to get a better turnout, which they need to win the next election, they're going to need more motivation. I think it's possible. I still also think you're also over overestimating how much people actually know about policy. So I think mostly it's I think what you really yeah, see is that true. people go to the polls based on do they like the current president or not. So it'll be a very interesting election. <laughs> I like how we're already okay. talking about <laughs> what is it, the twenty eighteen election. God, twenty twenty. All right. I'm actually legitimately surprised that the gov that the Dems didn't shut down the government. Like that's what I was expecting. I was expecting a democratic government shutdown. And then I was expecting to laugh my ass off because, like, there was this whole thing of, I still remember in high school, I came home and I was watching Jon Stewart and he was like, House Republicans are being obstructionist dickbags. Well, he didn't say dickbags because you can't say that on late night TV for some reason. Anyway, like, that just was something that surprised me. The fact that they were able to get as much as they did is also something that I didn't see coming. At the same time, I feel like this is very much, what's the word, um, a candle compared to the Inferno, which is they may have had this one victory with all the executive orders that have been signed, with all of the new laws that... Um, House Republicans are trying to get past. That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be... You're lingering. Well, there's truth to that, I think, depending on what kind of other bills get passed, particularly through um, reconciliation over the coming months. We'll just have to see. Like, if 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 this is the spending bill, and then the Trump tax cuts, which we'll talk about more in depth next week, if the Trump tax cuts get passed through reconciliation, which you don't need any Democrats to vote for it in the Senate, it's hard to call that a win on net. <laughs> um, certainly not a win for the deficit, that's for sure. So, are we talking about the deficit there? We'll talk about the deficit next week. Okay. All right. All right, whatever. All right. Um, the hot potato on the environment, climate change is, purge majigger. Is EPA climate change purge? Another climate change topic for all you environmentalists out there, all you greeners, Jill Steiners. On Friday, the Trump administration removed all of the EPA's climate information from the agency's website. In its place was this announcement. We are currently updating our website to reflect EPA's priorities under the leadership of President Trump and Administrator Pruitt. Oh, I thought that said Putin for a second. Okay, good. <laughs> the official EPA announcement of the changes says there's no need to reflect on the agency's new direction under President Donald Trump 
and administration's Scott Pruitt. Removing them, according to the EPA spokesman, was needed to prevent confusion, in quotation marks. The confusion would be caused by the promotion of outdated policies that were put in place by the previous administration. Chief among those policies is Clean Power Plan, the Obama administration's response to climate change. The EPA announcement refers to it as a so-called clean power plan. <laughs> if you examine the cached version of the EPA's climate policy, helpfully linked at, however, <laughs> these parentheses phrases are from Ralph Paul. <laughs> you don't read them. There's almost no policy on them. Instead, they're largely filled with basic information about climate change, providing a valuable resource for anyone with basic questions about science. For example, the featured news section simply has links to announcements about 2016's record warmth. The main site the main set of stories include two discussions of climate change and public health, a link to emissions data, and a discussion of climate change impacts that we are currently experiencing. There's a map below to let people... <laughs> Don't read the, the parentheses. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying really hard here. Two other collections of the links focus on how and why climate the climate is changing. By the way, I think we're, I'm going to start including uh, the notes, and I think you can link to them in the podcast thing. So I think I'm going to start doing that so people can actually find the links to these. Because the reason there's parentheses in there is we're reading from an Ars Technica article. So it makes more sense if you're reading it visually. Uh, no, this was written by Brett because Brett clearly is able to write like that. Oh, yeah. Gosh, Paul. I'm a great writer. I have no doubt that you can write like that. I just, it's obvious that you didn't write it as you were reading it. I mean, I don't know. Like, I just, have any of you seen Monty Python? No. I actually haven't. Yes. I kind of feel like there's, there's this one scene where the Monty Python hired a bunch of extras and they said, if you laugh, you don't get paid. <laughs> and this fellow came up to him and said, does my name amuse you? Biggest Dickus. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's life of Brian. So if they laughed, they didn't get paid. Touche. That's not how that's, it goes. That, 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 that's, that's what I felt like Brett was doing, except not very well. It's like someone had written Biggest Dickus in every single one of those parentheses. Biggest uh, Dickus. Hey, you don't know. Maybe I did write biggest stickers. You can't see the notes. Actually, you can, so you know I didn't write it, but it's it doesn't matter. Justice to the scene. Okay. <sighs> What's your hot take, Armor? I'm uh, Holy shit. I'm not used to this. You're not used to what? I uh, know what you're saying. Ah, Schnell. What? Schnell. What? What the fuck is Schnell? That's fast in German. Schnell! <sighs> Jesus Christ. Okay, anyway, what's your hot take, Robert? 
My hot take is that this world is going to end in fire and brimstone. That fire and brimstone is called global warming. Like at this point, like they're at the rate we're going, I'm thinking of buying some beachfront property at the top of Mount Shasta or something like that. That'd be nice. And yeah, yeah. You know, just step out, kind of dip my feet in the boiling hot water. Oh. You know, kind of wipe my hands off on the dead baby seals. One of the many, many other extinct species. You know, just breathe into my oxygen mask. You know, that's, that's not really an fun argument. stuff. It's not an argument. Um, it's not an argument. It's my goddamn hot potato. Touche. This is the hot takes segment. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't speak first. No, no. I think about it. Hey, 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 hey. Be fair. Let's all be nice. I'm so, being fair. That's a perfectly fair assessment. No, nah, no. Nah, let's be nice. I mean, I all think. I think, you know, it's like, it's not surprising. Like, this is Trump. This is, this is Scott Pruitt. Like, this is exactly what you knew, what I was expecting. Uh, they're given the bullshit about this is about <gasps> reflecting policies and stuff like that. It's not. Like, you're trying to scrub the data because you don't want people to see it. But, I mean, it's dumb. I mean, right? what data are you talking about? Well, like you said, I mean, like the, the story said, they, they got rid you're of all big. the... They got rid of all the pages on the website and almost all the pages. All they talked about was like, here was the record temperatures in 2016. And here were the record temperatures in 2015 before that. And here's how greenhouse gases were. All those pages are gone. Like they're not. This isn't like, oh, well, we have a different set of priorities and we're no longer pursuing the clean power plan. So we got rid of the page talking about the clean power plan. No, you got rid of the page saying that 2016 was the warmest year on record because you don't believe it. You think it's fake news and you think scientists are bought off and it's not surprising. Like this is what you'd expect if you've been paying attention to Scott Pruitt or Donald Trump at all for the last two years. So, I mean, I don't think that they think that scientists are bought off. I think that they say that they think scientists uh, are bought off because well, yes. that's what helps their bottom line. Oh, boo. You don't think that I one agree. government scientist is bought off? We're not doing this again. What's your hot take, Brett? I mean, basically what I said earlier, um, last episode, which is that, I don't know, I'll take it a step further. Like, climate change at this point is basically irreversible. So let's just, uh, let's just go along with it. How about that? Well, that's certainly a hot take. Uh, well, you know, you're the—I think you're the youngest one on here, so you know, you're the one that's going to have to deal with it. So, um, I, I guess you—I I mean, guess you at least get your wish imagine, that California will be underwater by the time you're I don't, old enough to be the only person. That's a good thing. That honestly, I'm perfectly fine with California being underwater. Um, but like continuing. Like Siberia, like northern Russia and central Russia, um, central Canada, huge land masses, completely inaccessible right now because of how cold they are. 
you could colonize with our technology, like probably all of the displaced populations. And maybe, you know, like humanity needs some kind of catastrophe to get our priorities straight. Maybe instead of everything going fine and consumerism continuing and us continuing to use fossil fuels, because we will, like there's always a niche that is like, oh, I got solar panels installed in my house and I use compost. That's not like the normal person, like the normal person just does what's easiest, what's like um, the cheapest. They're, they're fucking lazy, basically. So ultimately, like if you look at human history, what really incentivizes people to change is catastrophe. And at the end of the day, I feel like we have the technology to be able to cope with climate change and maybe even like uh, grow from it, get like a kind of global consciousness of where we're at. And then also we have an incentive to like leave the planet because it's getting kind of shitty at the same time and things are getting kind of crowded. So if you look at it from like a human perspective, like long term, I don't think it's super bad. Well, I'll just say uh, I think if the response to the financial crisis of 08 is any indication, I'm not sure uh, responding to crisis is actually going to be that good for a reform movement. So, but that's, that's my rebuttal to that. Okay. Next story. <gasps> Dude, you just tore me. In sure. uh, it was just a hot take. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that's, that was my reaction to that. Okay. So the next story is about net neutrality. Uh, so the new FCC head commissioner, Ajit Pai, revealed his plan to roll back his predecessor's net neutrality regulations, uh, which classified ISPs as Title II utilities under the Telecommunications Act of 1996. Uh, the core of Pai's plan is to shift Internet back to being a Title I information service that would dramatically reduce regulation around the industry and, he argues, spur new investment, particularly in infrastructure. Pai claimed that Title II was a solution in search of a problem enacted to prevent, quote, hypothetical harms and hypothetical prophecies of doom, unquote, while stifling innovation. Removing the regulations would ease the burden on small ISPs that serve limited communities, but it also makes it easier for large conglomerates like Comcast to give priority to its own content over that from, say, Netflix. The second element of Pi's proposal is to rescind the Internet Conduct Standard, the rule that allowed the FCC to investigate so-called zero rating plans that exclude certain services from monthly data caps. The chairman already announced that he would be ending those investigations, and now he's proposing to eliminate the rule that led to them. He painted the investigations as a regulatory overreach that not only harmed, but actually attacked consumers who were receiving services they like for free under the plans. However, net neutrality supporters like Public Knowledge's general counsel Ryan Clough says that if providers are allowed to zero rate their own video services, they are, quote, effectively charging customers more to access competing services, unquote. Exactly the sort of hypothetical harm that many hope to prevent by turning to Title II regulations. Lastly, Pai said that the FCC would be seeking comment on how to deal with Brightline rules adopted as part of net neutrality in 2015. Those rules are seen as core to the concept of net neutrality. They state clearly that there should be one, no blocking. Broadband providers may not block access to legal content, applications, services, or non-harmful devices. Two, no throttling. 
Broadband providers may not impair or degrade lawful internet traffic on the basis of content, applications, services, or non-harmful devices. Three, no paid prioritization. Broadband providers may not favor some lawful internet traffic over other lawful internet traffic in exchange for consideration of any kind. In other words, no fast lanes. This rule also bans ISPs from prioritizing content and services of their affiliates. A byproduct of these changes is that the FTC, so the Federal Trade Commission, uh, would now be in charge of handling privacy complaints. The FCC and Trump administration in general has already courted controversy over its handling of internet privacy rules, and it's unlikely that shifting the responsibility to the FTC will silence critics. All right, well, I guess you guys can get my hot scoop first. Because I actually agree with net neutrality, and that was one of those things. Like, we used to be a pretty, like, uber-libertarian, like, the free market is great all the time, no matter what. And net neutrality was one of those things that kind of, like, gave me a more realistic view of the world, I guess. <laughs> Where it's like, okay, I mean, obviously we shouldn't give companies, like, unfair access to different um like connection speeds it's basically a monopoly at that point and uh even like libertarians they don't like monopolies um so basically i think that we should probably treat the internet like a, a public highway basically everyone gets equal access and that sort of thing because at the end of the day, like the more people who have access to the internet, the more benefits you're going to get, no matter what. Interesting. Okay, Amr. So I'm going to hop on this bandwagon and just be uh, like, here we yeah, go. neutrality, <laughs> fuck yeah. Like, I think that should be neutral. I don't think that people should be able to charge higher rates for broadband i don't think that they should be able to look and see exactly where um i'm going on my interwebernet searches like i don't want them to have my internet history damn it oh i don't i don't want them to see the porn i'm looking at i thought you said you weren't sexual uh, I don't want to do it. Liar. I don't. I don't want to do it. I, All right. I, I this I took a very weird turn. Well, I mean, anyway. Like, okay, I'm, I hopefully I'm going to... Christian like he was like this pure being. I never said I was a pure being. I just said that I was asexual. <laughs> and that I didn't I... want to bone a man, a woman, or someone who like doesn't identify as either. I don't want to bone squids, Brett. Like, this they'd is... just be fucking ink everywhere. <laughs> God. This is taking a really weird turn. So hopefully, I'm going to steer us back into FCC land. Uh... Welcome to the <laughs> to <the laughs> podcast. The number one squid porn podcast. <laughs> I No, okay. I have to disagree. There's got to be one out there. Like, the... That's what is it? Rule forty-seven. The internet. It's got to be out there somewhere. Okay. Yeah. And there's no way we have what fucking eight subscribers. There's no way we're number one. Like 
I'm sure the squid porn scene is exploding. Talking. Do what? Going exponentially right now. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think this is bullshit. I, I mean, I'm gonna jump on the bandwagon too. I think uh, his arguments are wrong, uh, demonstrably wrong. In twenty, you know, he calls it hypotheticals. In 2014, a number of ISPs, including Comcast and Verizon, actively throttled Netflix because they wanted Netflix to pay for network upgrades. Uh, Netflix eventually caved and paid. And I mean, I remember that because I distinctly remember this was February 2014 and the new season of House of Cards came out and I have Comcast and I pay fucking $200 a month for the 105 megabit, you know, internet. I mean, I also have cable and all that stuff, but I mean, I have their fastest internet you can get and I couldn't even watch House of Cards in HD because they were throttling it to try to force Netflix to pay for it. Those are the kinds of things that are that were fixed by net neutrality in 2015. So getting rid of that, this idea is hypothetical, is bullshit. It's totally happened. Also, several ISPs, including Comcast, exempt their own VOD services from their data caps, even though other VOD services like Netflix and Amazon aren't. Uh, so I have, again, I have Comcast. I have a one terabyte um, data limit per month. If I use Comcast's Comcast Xfinity Stream or whatever they call it, uh, that doesn't count against that one terabyte cap. But if I watch Netflix or Amazon, that does count against it. That's bullshit. And I think, yeah, I agree. It should be regulated like a public utility. I actually would have gone further than the 2015 regulations. The 2015 regulations went very compromised in terms of they didn't do rate regulations uh, rate metering the way that we do for phones, for example, um, and electricity. Um, so there were no regulations put on how much people could charge for broadband internet. Um, and they also didn't go into breaking up the monopolies and the conglomerates. Uh, it's important to remember what we did. And, you know, we used to have the same kind of service in phones with AT&T in the 80s where AT&T was a regulated monopoly and they were, you had to buy your phone from AT&T. You had to buy your service from AT&T and all that stuff. And the prices were exorbitant and service wasn't very good. And so the FCC went up, re-regulated them as a utility and broke it up and also decentralized and said, okay, anybody can make a phone. Anybody can offer long distance service on top of the, the network and stuff like that. I think we should be doing the same thing. I think there's the idea that Comcast not only provides the service that I get my internet from, but then provides services on top of that and that they're not regulated any better because I think it's something like 80% of Americans only have one ISP choice, one or two ISP broadband choices. They're essentially monopolies and we're not regulating them like that at all. So I'm paying $225 a month for stupid internet access that is subpar that I don't even like, but like, this is what you have to do. Comcast so much. Yeah. Comcast is the worst. And the fact that they own NBC, it's just like, it's just dirty and it. They should be broken up in my opinion. So. I mean, something that really pisses me off is that all these companies just aren't letting fiber optic wires be installed. Well, yeah. Well, and I also want to point out, too, uh, to that end about infrastructure. Pi has often said that 
uh, he wants to ro- roll back these rules because they're hurting infrastructure development. And in fact, if you look at the spending of the top five ISPs, that would be like Verizon, Comcast, AT&T, uh, Time Warner. Um, they Their uh, spending on infrastructure actually increased from 2015 to 2016. So there's no evidence that the net neutrality rules hurt infrastructure spending. So he's giving all these reasons for why he should roll back net neutrality, the regulations, and none of them are based in fact. It's just, it's just a giant giveaway to the telecoms. So, all right, okay. well, I'm glad we're in agreement here. Yep. So. A Trump, a Trump surrogate giving facts. I, I don't think we'd be able to handle that, man. Like, wow. if someone in the Trump hominem. administration came Great to us... Great straw man there, bro. And actually gave us facts. together, huh? You're saying shit like that. I'm all for coming together. But, like, generally speaking, as a rule, when someone in the Trump administration comes out and gives some kind of information, it has turned out to be a fabrication, an exaggeration... Or just, well, actually, I said fabrication already. Fabrication, an exaggeration, or just something that doesn't really have any relevance or any coherence. Well, I think it depends on where you go. I mean, I I, I give Trump's cabinet and certain people in his administration more credit than I give Trump himself. If you're talking about Trump himself, yeah, I agree. He just says whatever he feels like at any given time, and it's usually not based on anything. People in the cabinet, like, I I generally think Ajit Pai is probably a smart guy. I just think that he's either A, he's bought off, or B, he has a completely different philosophy, and he doesn't care. About, I mean, because one of the things I will say is he makes a compelling argument that the FTC should be regulating these companies rather than the FCC, um, and the FTC did a investigation they did a study and they found that they kind of agreed with that so there's a compelling argument there i think the fact that he's not making that argument and instead he's making bullshit argument uh it tells you that it, it, he's playing the politics um because in order for the ftc to regulate it you'd have to get congress to pass legislation they're not going to do that and so he's playing the game of let's just scare people into think the government is taking over the internet and it's like no, it's, you're given bad reasons. So, all right, now time for the big cheese. <laughs> Why? Why is it the big cheese? Like, I looked the other way at hot potato, but big cheese. Come on, do we have to? <laughs> yes, just because <laughs> no. of that reaction. God damn it! That is, that is the only reason I am doing it at this point. God damn it! I love you too, Paul. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. Time for the big, big, cheesy, cheesy cheese. (laughs) Trump's first 100 days. At the end of October, Donald Trump spoke in Gaysburg, Pennsylvania, and released a plan for his first 100 days in office. The plan outlined three main areas of focus. Cleaning up Washington including imposing term limits on Congress, 
protecting American workers, and restoring rule of law. He also laid out his plan for working with Congress, introduced 10 pieces of legislation that he would repeal Obamacare, fund construction of the wall on the southern border with the provision that Mexico would reimburse the United States, encourage infrastructure investment, rebuild military bases, promote school choice, and more. Therefore, on my, the first day of my term of office, my administration will immediately pursue <laughs> the, the following six measures to clean up the corruption and the special interest collusion in Washington, D.C. First, why is he British Australian? That's a horrible it, Bronx accent. Yeah. Horrible. Uh, on, what are we doing? Term limits on all members of Congress. Second, a hiring freeze on all federal employees to reduce federal workforce due attrition. Third, a requirement for every new federal regulation. Two existing regulations must be eliminated. Fourth, five-year ban on White House and congressional officials becoming lobbyists after they leave government service. Fifth, a lifetime ban on White House officials lobbying on behalf of a foreign government. Sixth, complete ban on foreign lobbyists raising money for American elections. On the same day, I will begin taking the following seven actions to protect American workers. First, I will announce my intention to renegotiate NAFTA or withdraw from the deal under Article 2205. Second, I will announce our withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Third, I will direct my Secretary of the Treasury to label China the currency manipulator. Oh, no. China. China. Fourth, I will direct the Secretary of Commerce and the U.S. Trade Representative identify all foreign trading abuses that unfairly impact American workers <laughs> to use every tool under American international law That's right. and those abuses immediately. Fifth, I will lift the restrictions on the production of the $50 trillion worth of job-producing American energy reserves, including shale, oil, natural gas, Amen. Sixth, lift the Obama-Clinton roadblocks and allow vital infrastructure projects like the Keystone Pipeline to move. And I'm not fucking reading all of vital. this. Vital. It's yeah. vital. I'm a, you need to read. You know it. what sucks is you got almost to the end. Like there's only like five things left. Yeah, stop. Being right, let's, let's, fine, let's finish this. Sixth, quick, lift the like Obama-Clinton roadblocks. You and just read that. Vital one. infrastructure. Fucking, I'm reading again. Seventh, cancel billions in payments to the UN, climate change programs, and use the money to fix America's water and environmental infrastructure. Additionally, on my first day, I will take the following five actions to restore security and the constitutional rule of law. First, cancel every unconstitutional executive action, memorandum, and order issued by President Obama. Second, begin the process of selecting a replacement for Justice Scalia from one of 20 judges on my list will uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. Third, 
cancel all federal funding to sanctuary cities. Begin removing the more than 2 million criminal illegal immigrants from the country and cancel visas to foreign countries that won't take them back. Fifth, suspend immigration from terror-prone regions where vetting cannot safely occur. He tried. All the vetting of people coming into our country will be considered extreme vetting. Next, I will work with Congress to introduce the following broader legislative measures. Passages for the first 100 days of my administration. Is, is, is this Donald Trump having a stroke? From all the KFC he's been eating on the road. No, <laughs> all the KFCs he's been eating with silverware. Act and the Offshoring Act, American Energy and Infrastructure Act, School Choice and I Education. I think almost over, Paul. Repeal and replace Obamacare Act, Affordable uh, Child Care and Elder Care Act, Legal Immigration uh, Act, Restoring Community Safety Act, Restoring National Security Act, <laughs> Corruption in Washington Act, 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 Act. Thank God it's over. Okay, I think I, I had a stroke during that. end on a high note. That's it. I think <laughs> I had a stroke during that. Acts. Right. Okay, here here's the okay. thing. So so I want I just want to point out. So there is a, a tracker. CBS has a tracker uh, that because I want to point out that this was a list of that he put out in October of his contract with the American people for his first hundred days. Literally everything up to the end, he said he was going to do on his first day, including renegotiate NAFTA. Like what the hell, dude? Come on. It's so ridiculous. It was so ridiculous then. It's ridiculous now. Uh, anyway, the 100 days, then he said within 100 days, he was going to pass all these different acts, including tax reform, offshoring, energy and infrastructure, repeal and replace health care, uh, like affordable child care. Like, it was so ridiculous. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was, but, you know, whatever. It's typical Trump braggadocio, right? But I think the things that I, I want to focus on, first of all, I find it hilarious that, you know, he talks about uh, he will take the following five actions to restore security and the constitutional rule of law. And the first one of those is cancel every unconstitutional executive action. So, so far in Trump's 100 days, he actually has done something. He has set a record for executive orders signed in the first 100 days by a president. Uh, actually... I think he comes in second to Harry Truman, who, if you recall, uh, took office during World War II. So, uh, World War II never happened. So, so that, that, that's that's a left wing propaganda. Happen, dude? dude, why did the Civil War happen? Why did the Civil War happen? Jesus Christ, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> why can't uh, they just work it out? Yeah, why can't they just work it out? Uh, <laughs> oh my God! Fucking hell! This fucking guy. I tell you what. Anyway, I, guys, I, I know exactly what it is. Let's ask Frederick Douglass. Yes, Let's ask Frederick yes. Douglass. He's he's being recognized more and more as an authority on the situation. Oh my god! 
Oh, yeah, I can't handle this guy. I don't I don't understand how I'm gonna take this for another three and a half more years. Dude, just imagine Hillary. She would have been so boring. God. Yeah, but I could take boring. I would rather boring. have that. I can take boring. I can't take a guy who's like, why did the Civil War happen? Who knows? Maybe nobody will ever know. What can you say? Eh. Maybe Andrew Jackson, okay. he would have taken care of it. Yeah, if Andrew Jackson were alive, if Andrew Jackson were still around, he would have taken care of it. He didn't yeah. like the stuff that was going on in the Civil War. He had no problem with genocide. What are you going to do? Anyway. Didn't he, like, threaten to kill Calhoun or something? Dude, he threatened to kill yeah. lots of people. And he basically <laughs> did kill most Native Americans in the country. So. Like, Dude, it's, it's, it's Andrew like, fucking oh, Jackson. He's like... Okay, then I'll fucking come and kill you. Anyway. What happened was South Carolina wanted to secede, and Andrew Jackson was like, if y'all try and secede, I will come down there and personally hang every single one of you. (laughs) What you're saying about John C. Calhoun is when Andrew Jackson left the White House, he had a quote, which is, I have but two regrets. I didn't shoot Henry Clay, and I didn't hang John C. Calhoun. (laughs) Well, the whole thing's ridiculous because if Andrew Jackson had been president, there would have been no civil war because Andrew Jackson was the only president to ever be 100% pro-slavery. Like, he had no qualms about it, didn't want any restrictions on it whatsoever. The guy had no issue with slavery. So there wouldn't have been a civil war. But anyway, this is a tangent. Uh, Basically, anyway, so CBS has a tracker. uh, So... He has, of his 38 specific promises Trump made in his 100-day contract with voters, he has accomplished 10, mostly through executive orders. So, what are the things he's done? I mean, to be fair, he got a Supreme Court justice. There you go. There you go. I mean, they had to kill the filibuster to get it, but, you know, details. Uh, He has said some things around NATO, NAFTA. He did, to be fair, and I will give him credit for this. He did... um, pull out of the tpp so that's good that's the thing he has tried some things uh in terms of the immigration bans and sanctuary cities they keep getting knocked down by courts i don't see it changing anytime soon he has not he has not drained the swamp okay he has like he has getting in the way bro he has thrown like tepid hot water into the swamp and just raised its level 10 feet. There are fucking Goldman Sachs crocodiles all over this damn swamp now. So, <laughs> What does a Goldman Sachs crocodile even look like? Does it just have like fucking Steve golden Mnuchin. teeth? Like skin? No, Steve Mnuchin. That's exactly what it looks it's like. A, it, it's a crocodile. Of course it has a big fucking nose. Like that entire thing is just like it's fucking yeah, what's nose. The difference oh, now I feel anti-Semitic. nose at that point. Now I feel anti-Semitic. I, uh, now I feel like I shouldn't have made that. I shouldn't have said that. I I, I did not intend that to be anti-Semitic. I promise. Come Either on. way. Uh, so I think. I mean, it's literally called Goldman. Okay, no, that's we're going like down a dark place. Let's stop. Let's stop. Let's stop. That's that's not a place. I mean, that America. literally is a Jewish surname. No, I know, but this is. I don't like where this is going. So let's just not go here. Um, so he did get a Supreme Court justice. He's, He's tried other things pill. that hasn't happened. He has. Yeah, it is a Jewish surname. All right, yes, I know it's a Jewish surname. Anyway, uh, he's completely reversed on some things. The China 
money uh, uh, money manipulator, currency manipulator. Totally walked that back, not doing anything about it. Uh, I think he did sign the executive order on the uh, five-year ban on White House lobbying, stuff like that. Uh, I will point your attention to uh, Bill Clinton also signed an exactly exactly the same executive order when he entered office in 92 or 93. Uh, he promptly signed an executive order repealing that order uh, the day before George W. Bush was inaugurated. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I expect Trump to do something similar because um, that's what they all do, to be honest with you. <gasps> Dude, they do. Like, he, look how many bankers and industry people he has in his cabinet. There's no I way he's not going to repeal that executive They came up to him, like, his very first day, and they're like, okay, listen, if you don't go along with us, we're going to fucking tank the economy, and you're going to never be president again. Dude, now you're getting into conspiracy theories. Uh, what is yeah. a conspiracy, and then what is just government corruption? No, like, I where think... Like, where do you draw the line? All the all the evidence points to he doesn't actually know what he's doing. He just listens to whoever talked to him last and says like like they, there's all kinds of stories coming out now. That means he's humble, Paul. No, there's all kinds of stories coming out open. now where all his all his advisors are saying they only take him one option. Right? When like there's a policy like you usually you take a present like multiple options and you walk through it and say well, if we go with this option here, are the pros and the cons of that. If we go with this option here, are the pros and cons of that. If we go with this option here, are the pros and cons of that. Apparently, Trump like doesn't like making decisions, uh, which he has basically alluded to in his interviews. So now they only take him one option, and they're like, "Oh, I think you should do this," and he just does it because he doesn't like making decisions. And I think that's what's happening here, and uh, and I think you're seeing the influence of probably Jared Kushner in in that. And so who's, who's the like financial dude? I forgot his name. Steve he's, Mnuchin? He's part of Goldman Sachs. Steve Mnuchin. Yeah, Mnuchin. Treasury Secretary. He's pretty interesting. He's he's the guy who uh, financed American Sniper, like a bunch of other patriotic films. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I'm not, I think that might be somebody else, but I wouldn't be surprised either way. Well, I mean, even Bannon used to work for Goldman Sachs, so... And he also did Hollywood movies. Open so. fucking sacks. Not surprising. Um, I think in terms of his legislative victories, the best thing to say is what legislative victories? Uh, the Affordable Health Care Act, or the American Health Care Act, sorry, crashed and burned. Nothing else has passed. Um, well, he said in his campaign that he he try to replace it because that's a sympathetic thing to do. And then he said, like, politically, it would be the best move to uh, let it crash and burn, which is which, kind of debatable whether or not Obamacare would crash or burn. But under Trump administration, it certainly fucking would. So that would be a good political kind of move. Mm, for, I disagree. Like, oh, see, look, Obamacare completely got decimated and like millions of people lost their coverage all at once no I, I think if you look at most polls most polls show that they would blame him they would blame trump and republicans if the affordable care act fails so i i think that's a bad political move if that's what he's thinking so i, I don't mean, have the poll right in front of me the but majority there's... didn't vote for trump it's all about what the base thinks no but i mean like so like 
uh, Obamacare now has close to a 60% approval rating. So this is more than just people that voted against Trump. It's there are people who like voted for Trump and are, like crossing over now. And the American Healthcare Act only had a 17% approval rating like the last time it came up. So it, Trump voted for only like 30% of the population. Well, they only when I talk about 60% and all this like that's only of voting Americans. It's not like the population. Like they have to be registered voters. So yeah, just because you register to vote doesn't mean that you're gonna vote. I mean, they generally scream by like asking them, "Did you vote in the last election?" I last don't really election. think that like any Republican out there would go, "Yeah, I, I like Obamacare." I think well, that I just, even if like well, they were Republicans know they're too partisan. I, I, I Republicans mean, I, know, I but independents, yes. There. Like there was literally like a bunch. There was Paul Ryan was giving a thing, and like this Republican lawmaker came up and said, "You know." I was a Republican lawmaker. I was with this president, and I did this and this important thing. I don't remember exactly who he was. I'm sorry. But, like, he came up, and he's like, I, if it weren't for Obamacare, I'd be dead right now. Yeah, okay. no, I do think there are Republicans. That just pass him out like as a rhino, and then that's the end of him. Well, that's not very nice. Uh, uh, a the, conservative. The... <laughs> Jesus, dude, come on. No, it's so, what they do, you know? Any dissenters in the party, you're a conservative, you're an establishmentarian, and you're out. That is what they do. Uh, the last thing I'll say, and then I'll, I'll turn it over, is... Uh, so, there, Trump basically wrote a big op-ed for Washington Post, ironically, because I thought he thought they were fake news. <laughs> but so, talking about, oh, how amazing it's been and how he's gotten so much done in his you know first 100 days or something like that. Uh, the breakdown of laws signed by Trump so far, 13 of them were repeals of Obama era rules. Um, five of them were to appoint personnel Four recognizes veterans. Three modifies existing programs Two encourages agency to in- innovate and one extends Obama air policy. So the vast majority repealing obama era rules and we've talked about this before in terms of the stream protection act um foreign investors they don't have to oil companies don't have to disclose when they bribe foreign officials things like that those those make up the majority of things uh i will also say that in terms of um how many people he has uh, appointed gotten appointed to his positions uh he actually is doing pretty well he's gotten 21 of his 22 nominees for cabinet level pull well he's gotten 21 or 22 cabinet level people appointed and he signed it through and all that stuff which is much easier considering he's the first president that didn't require uh to overcome a filibuster to do that that's an important caveat there uh also important is that he has not even nominated people for over 450 of the 560 senate uh approval required positions in the government so that's a thing. And now I'm done. I mean, something that I find very interesting is that Trump is like, oh, well, the United States, like, I'll be judged harshly by journalists because this arbitrary standard of the first hundred days. And he himself set the standard of the first hundred days. But I feel like that just shows what our president is or what he's very much like and that... <gasps> 
he'll say whatever he needs to say in order to what's the word i keep saying that a lot what's the word in order to try and make it look like he knows what he's doing and try and shift the blame it's a very sociopathic thing where you can never take the blame for what you yourself have done it's always something that you have to shift on to someone else i'm being blamed by the unfair media i'm being hounded by democrats who refuse to pass my laws and it's all democrats running government's a sociopath i don't think that's unique I don't think that's true, honestly. Yeah, it's uh, true. Obama. Like, higher, higher than the median, state. sure. All of them? No. Likes weightlifting so he can look at himself in the mirror. I don't think, Wait, I don't, I, I don't think Obama's doing that, man. No. Obama's a cardio guy. Yeah. Yeah. And Trump is a Diet Coke and Kentucky Fried Chicken guy. No, why would you say Diet Coke? It's clearly just Coke. Have you seen the stories about he has a dedicated Coke button? No. You haven't seen these stories? He literally has a dedicated button in the Oval Office that he just pushes it and someone brings him a Coke. I like that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta so, reflect the country you live in. And that you rule. Well, he's certainly doing that. Uh, I will he's, also still, s- he's still not as bad as William Howard Taft. I'm sure <laughs> Taft bathed in Coca-Cola. That was a wonky <laughs> joke. I mean, I mean, that's why he got stuck in the bathtub. <laughs> Just dried over. All right, I gotta go, guys. So let's well, wrap it up. Yeah, so so also the I'll link to this as well. There's an article on Business Insider that gives a really good breakdown of some of his things, including they they talk about the um, 465 of the 556 executive branch jobs that require Senate confirmation has no nominations so far. So that's a good thing. He currently has the lowest approval rating of the last four presidents on day 100 at 42 percent. Clinton is the next closest at 50, roughly 55 percent. Um, also, where, oh yeah, uh, he is the only president of the last four that hasn't traveled outside of the country yet. Uh, on the other hand, he has traveled to more States than any of the last four presidents, mostly because he still, for some reason, keeps doing campaign rallies. Uh, and also, uh, golf outings in the first 100 days, Trump is at 19, (laughs) Obama was at one. Bush was at zero and Clinton was at seven by the end of their first hundred days. So, so he's played a lot of golf and he's gone on a lot of campaign rallies. I don't, I don't, I don't see why you're complaining about this. This is a good joke. Three, two, this is, this is a joke. Well, no, I think this is a good thing because if Trump is out golfing and if Trump is playing at these campaigns and just doing his campaigns, it means He's not in the Oval Office, and he's not talking to some foreign leader and telling people to start launching nukes. It's one hour 
or one or two hours where he's not blowing up and ruining everything. Okay, joke has ended. Well, so, okay, let's wrap this up. Uh, Brett, first 100 days. Brett, first 100 days, pass, fail. All right. um, I think that overall it's a pass because, like, the things that really, really matter, and most importantly, the Supreme Court justice is through. And sure, like, it's flashy to say, it's very attractive to say that when they get this done on the first day, I mean, get this done within the first 100 days. But, like, even if it happens within, like, the last day of its presidency, I think it's overall, like, worth it. So, like, most conservative people out there are like, well, it's 100% better than if we had Hillary in power right now. So what's the difference? Like, we're holding back the liberal horde, basically. And about the golf thing, like, I think it's shitty that he's making it so expensive, but... Like to record the number of a president's like breaks or like his downtime based on like golf trips is kind of facetious, I think. Because for all you could know, like George W. Bush, who spent like zero golf trips, could have been just like spending an entire day in his room just watching TV. Like, at least I know Trump, like, when he's taking breaks, he's obviously taking breaks. And maybe he's eating some fresh air and some Whoa, exercise. I watch a lot of television. He does, he does watch, watch a lot of television, but he does stuff. He watches. Okay. So he only gets, like, three hours of sleep, and then he wakes up early, and then he watches television. And at night, he watches more television, and he goes to bed. Yes, he does. He watches a lot of television. To be fair, Bush also spent a lot of time at Crawford. So that may not be captured here. Okay. Uh, Amr. First 100 days, pass, fail. Fail! Oh my god. Bro, you can throw an olive branch there. Are you wavering a little bit? It's hard to tell. There's no wavering here. Yeah. Um, He had a bunch of shit that he said he'd do, and he barely got any of it done. And the reason he said he could get all, all this shit done and barely got any of it done president. is because this president has had no governing experience whatsoever up until the presidency. And then he just put out a bunch of shit that he seemed at his current oxygen-addled mind <gasps> that he thought would... Sorry, oxygen-deprived mind that he thought was a good idea. And then just said he'd get it done the first 100 days. Like, quote, I don't know, like, sorry. You know, I don't, no one knew that healthcare would be this hard. And then everyone just looks at him, this is hyperbole, obviously, and says, Yes, we did. I didn't know governing was going to be this hard. Obama has to spend extra time with Trump because he did not understand the gravity of what it was going to be like to be president. Need I go on? No, I think it's good. I think uh, for me, yeah, I'm going to have to agree. It's a hard fail. I think the the best, best thing he can point to is the Supreme Court. And he had a super low bar because they got rid of the filibuster for it. So, like, I don't know. Do you really get a lot of credit for that? Uh, I think even if you're a conservative, I'd be sitting here looking at it and going, 
okay, you just got the budget bill. There's no funding for the wall in it. You haven't funded the wall. You've walked back stuff on China. You've walked back stuff on uh, NAFTA. Uh, you bombed Syria. Like all the people who thought, oh, we're not going to vote for Hillary Clinton because she's a warmonger. She's going to get us involved in Syria. Well, here we are in the first 100 days. He missile strikes Syria. Um, no, I think it's I think it's a fail. I, I don't think he's done really. Look, I mean, as a as a liberal, like I'm glad a lot of the stuff has failed, including the health care act and all this stuff. But like, if you're judging, certainly if you're judging him by his own standard, which was his contract with the American people, it's a hard fail. Even if you're judging him by Obama standards, I mean, Obama in his first 100 days passed the stimulus bill to pull in the to to stem the the yeah, bleeding of the financial crisis and the economy collapsing. So, you know, like he has obviously hasn't done anything like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's an easy, easy fail there. All right. Well, that's, that's the whole scoop. Join us next week for the next hot topic, whatever it is. And if we're all nuked, like the store, then- it will definitely be a hot topic. Like the store? Most certainly. What what store? Hot Topic. You're aware of the store called was. Hot Topic? Uh, yes. According to a BuzzFeed quiz, I'm 61. I shouldn't be, and I'm too old to be shopping at Hot Topic. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, take us, take us out, Armour. Well, everybody, that has been the Fairly Political Podcast, the number one shrimp porn podcast. Thank you for your time, and we hope to see you next week. Why did it change from squid to shrimp? We may never know. Because they have beaks. Oh, touche. It's like squid porn is probably really popular in Japan. But shrimp porn... Extratentical porn is popular. See, I told you. I told you it would be on the internet. Okay, that's it. We're going now. We're going now.